This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Jumpert, and Jack Foster. Gentlemen, what a whirlwind. The tides are turning, seismic changes are in the air. State politicians are coming together like the Infinity Stones in the gauntlet. Shades of Steve Austin and the King of the Ring. The eyes of the college football world are on the state and the University of Tennessee. Welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. To my left, that is Ryan Shumpert. And welcoming him back to the table after a few weeks away, we have our graduate. That's right, we didn't forget this time. Our graduate, Jack Foster, is in the house. Gentlemen, how are you both doing today? Doing well. The vibes you gave off. You like my cold open? And this might fall on deaf ears, but no one may get this reference. But your cold open gave the exact same vibe of the dude, the carnival barker that hosts the uh, hot dog eating competition. Oh, yeah. When he's talking about all the the competitions that they won, and he does the Joey Chestnut one, and it's just so outrageous and extravagant, but hilarious. That's the vibe I was getting from your cold open. Very carny. Very we'll take it. Marking. We'll yeah. take it. Jack, how are you doing? Welcome back. Wonderful podcasting, Rick. Bravo. That's probably the best cold open you've done since I've been a part of the team. It that might was, be the only really cold open that? I've ever done. Uh, I, I knew what I was going to okay. say. Yeah. I, I had For I, how long? During our pre-show conversation. Okay, that's a couple pretty of good. Yeah, that's, that's good I stuff. Mean, that's basically just, no this time. Is a, this is a talent. This is yeah. a natural talent It right was here. a couple of generic references. I, I even got a wrestling uh, doc in. I, I know Ryan didn't even catch that one, so it was only a couple seconds, but it might be yeah. the only cold open I've ever done. No, multiple references. It was good, and I appreciate the uh, the graduate mention. It's, it's odd being in Knoxville and not a student. You know, I mean, people have asked me this multiple times. Like, oh, how does it feel not going to classes anymore? It's like, well, guys... I haven't really, like, you know, <laughs> gone to class a whole lot in the last two years. And I'm not saying to do that, but it's more of it's not a part of your identity anymore. That's sure. the big thing. It's like, man, I'm not, a, like, I'm not a student. Like, that's just part of your identity your entire life, and it's gone. It's more not having the assignments and stuff to do and the tests to study for yeah. to me than the class itself. And obviously, yeah, that's fair. Like, Jack, Jack, you, you've done so much work, like, outside of school during your years that it's almost like, okay, like, to what Ryan was saying, now I can just put all that other gross stuff to the side, right? I can just yeah. put the homework to the side. I can put the, the essay to the side. Now I can just kind of focus on exactly what I've been doing over the last two years. Yeah, it's definitely less to worry about, and that's nice. But, but I will say the biggest adjustment is it not being a part of your identity. And when you go to Raising Cane's, you can't use dining dollars anymore yeah. or uh, flex dollars <laughs> or whatever so it, it's a it's a it's an adjustment and you know i have a roommate still going to class so that's weird but i'm glad to be graduated well we certainly are glad that you are too we have a ton to get to today uh this could turn into a, a bit of a long podcast as we have a lot to break down obviously we're going to start with the big news of the last 48 hours we're going to be talking about the ncaa versus tennessee war that's going on right now uh, it's very. It's been very quickly unfolding as just two days. I mean, actually, it's just yesterday, I believe. So it's not even 48 hours. It's, it's more like 24 to 36 uh, at the time of this recording. Just so much has unfolded. So much has gone on, especially today as we sit here on Wednesday afternoon or so with the attorney general getting involved. It felt like that was kind of the big domino that fell. Obviously, there was a lot that led up to that moment, but that was the big one. You're seeing like we talked about in that open, you know, state politicians are rallying together. University officials are rallying together. Obviously, you have the fan base 
ready to take up arms, but this has been the big story. So we're gonna break this down here for the next little while. Uh, and then I don't know if a ton of people care about it right now. I think some people might have the mentality of, Basketball loss? What basketball loss? We're trying to save college football over here. So I think a lot of people have sort of put that basketball loss uh, out of their memory already as they work to save college football. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about that loss at the end and just sort of where does Tennessee turn from here. So it's going to be a big show coming up today. But guys, what do you say we get right into it? The big news of the last day or two. Yeah, let's do it. So I guess going back to Tuesday, uh, Sports Illustrated first reported Pat Forty that the NCAA was going to be investigating Tennessee Athletics for reported NIL-related violations. That was sort of the, the, the big uh, jumping-off point, right? That's yeah. when everything unfolded. And with Tennessee's quick response, right, uh, Chancellor Dondi Plowman sent a, sent a letter to the NCAA very quickly, just within a couple of hours. Uh, really and the day before. That just got okay. through, through Freedom of Information Act's you know, acquired... Uh, by Tuesday afternoon. Okay, there you go. So moral of the story basically is to say that Tennessee was going to jump on this quickly once everything started to yes. unfold. Yeah, no, 100%. And I'm sure, you know, people were tipped off to that this email had had happened um, that Donnie Plavin had sent. I'm not, I can't remember the exact timeline, but it's something with this type of stuff. Like, even if a Freedom of Information Act is requested, like Tennessee can delay. It's either 60 days or 90 days can like basically put it off releasing it. Obviously, one people were aware of it, so they were already requesting it, um, and then Tennessee, you know, made it available immediately. So while it wasn't, you know, sent out publicly by Dondi Plowman in, in Tennessee, it was very much. They wanted it to be public. Yeah, the idea they was to it, let it get out. They wanted it to get out there quickly, uh, and certainly a, a heavy, heavy statement um, from Donnie Plowman and, and Tennessee's brass. And what the Tennessee statement says, and really what the purpose was, what it was for was to, you know, to put their foot in the ground. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were there some scathing lines in that message as Donnie Plowman just absolutely eviscerated the NCAA, <laughs> talking about how, you know, those phrases such as morally wrong, intellectually dishonest, uh, the NCAA is failing. This was a, I mean, it, it was a statement to make a statement. No, it 100% was. And um, I think maybe that's, well, I'll save the point I was going to say until we get a little bit later uh, on the, the big full scope of it. But no doubt it was a very firm statement and very definitive and uh, defiant, I guess would be kind of the two Scorched things. earth. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. I mean, use the strongest adjective possible. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, it, it was a message that Tennessee wanted to get out there. You go back to the last investigation that Tennessee was part of, and obviously Tennessee was exemplary with it. I believe the NCAA came out and said that, you know, hey, this is how we'd like all of our universities or programs to, you know, interact with this. And, and Tennessee was, right, they had a reason for why they were so cooperative with it. And they were trying to get it out of the way. They were, you know, they knew that that was a former administrator, uh, a former coaching staff, and they wanted to just sort of turn the leaf. But then it feels like, from a Tennessee perspective, for the NCAA then come back to them to start talking about some of these NIL violations in retroactive aspect, that's when Tennessee said, I'm going to take the gloves off if this is how we're going to handle it. No, 100%. And to Jack's point, I mean, some of, some of the phrases, morally wrong, intellectually dishonest, is what Plowman called the NCAA. And in the email, and, you know, I think they kind of back off of it or slow down a little bit. All the details of what, you know, is being investigated, not entirely sure. Not 
the NCA isn't putting any statements out there. They're not commenting on it. Um, but from what, you know, from Plowman's email, and Plowman in the email stated that she had met with NCA officials on, I think, maybe Sunday or Monday. Uh, I guess it would have been Monday. Um, so through that, you, you can't, again, Plowman doesn't say anything directly, but she talks about, like you said, uh, how they were used as good con gone conduct and, you know, how it would be ridiculous to give them lack of institutional control just five months later, um, which obviously that's a big word, a big phrase out there in these NCA investigations. And uh, the way she talked about it, it seems like what you were just saying, uh, NIL comes out. NIL becomes a thing. There's no guardrails. There's nothing legislating it. And then the NCA put some guardrails on. I don't know when, when this was, maybe t around two, 18 months, two years ago. Right. Uh, probably not two years ago, but 12 to 18 months, somewhere in that time frame. And in that, they say they're going to retroactively punish people who broke these violations before they were even violations. Uh, and I think they even kind of lessened the burden of proof that they were going to have to have in these investigations. So Donnie Plowman did a lot of ripping with that. I believe New York Times had a report linking it to directly to Nico Iamaliava and his recruitment and how Spire Sports maybe paid for a flight or flights for the family to Knoxville. Uh, so, again, we don't know everything. The NCAA hasn't come out. There hasn't been any notice of allegations. But that kind of seems like what yeah. – they are targeting, which is very similar to what happened at Florida State, very similar to what is going on in Florida right now. And I believe Trey Wallace uh, of OutKick, former friend of the pro program, also said, for what he's hearing is that there's going to be more schools that are going to be same sort of thing. Similar They're investigating. Uh, so really very much feels like the NCAA trying to gain some sort of control over the lawlessness that has been NIL and these collectives, um, but obviously putting the – the toothpaste back in the tube is going to be very, very difficult, and retroactively punishing people for rules that were not in place feels pretty ridiculous, and that was a big part of Donnie Plowman's statement. I mean, surely the NCAA had to think that this kind of backlash was going to happen. Do you think that they're surprised by, you know, as we're talking about all these state representatives and literally everybody backing Tennessee possible? I mean, what did they think was going to happen, if you're looking at it from their point of view? Yeah, well... Not to get too far ahead of us, I don't know that they expected a lawsuit yeah. style or sure. from the the state of, state of assembly. I don't know. And, and the I state think, of Tennessee. You know, with the other thing, and to Jack, your exact point. You know, there's obviously divisions of the NCAA or or, or groups within it. You know, that are tasked tasked to investigate, right? To to find these. Um, I don't want to say shortcomings. That's not right. That's not the right word. But to find these violations and to go use them. But at the at the end of the day, some of these rules that they're trying to um, trying to pin down schools with or trying to retroactively go back and, and, and talk about, a lot of these rules are either getting changed or the NCAA didn't make enough changes and enough rules at the beginning that state laws soon came into play and, and started dictating things as well. So like what you both are saying, that, that whole aspect of retroactively trying to get some of this work done, it, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, again, this is, to me, this, this looks like just a, a subdivision of the NCAA that has their task, but there's less and less of a need and a role for it uh, yeah. as things start to evolve and go forward. Yeah, I, I mean, I still struggle to really grasp what the NCAA really is needed for on a day-to-day -day basis with this kind of stuff. And if, if they're just going to do this and lose this lawsuit, which, you know, it looks like from everything that people are saying... They haven't won a lawsuit need, yet, so... Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to happen and that yeah. they're going to win, right? And... I mean, the amount of people backing Tennessee and saying that there's been no wrongdoing is certainly powerful. So yeah. you, you, when you just take it and look at a broad scope, it's like, okay, 
the NCAA, what are they doing? What, what power do they really have? You yeah, know? And, and, you know, obviously I, I'm not a legal expert. I don't think this is a never mind type of situation, right? Yeah, like, once oh, all my the, bad. Yeah, like once all the backlash <laughs> unfolded, there's, there's a lawsuit on the table. Uh, the, the state of Tennessee took this extremely seriously. And, you know, you mentioned Trey Wallace, some of the, some of the people in the OutKick organization. Like Jack said, there, there's been widespread support across the national landscape for Tennessee, just understanding what this means for college football. Um, in college sports in general, but you know the the outkick you know organization is saying that hey they wouldn't be surprised either if other schools from the SEC you know sort of join Back into down. this or file their own you know made a statement with this particular yeah case. I, I think one of the interesting thoughts from this first thirty six hours is just does this expand right does this stay sort of a, a, a Tennessee and Virginia lawsuit see how it unfolds yeah. or does it expand into something that's more conference wide nationwide how is Ohio State looking at this other programs around the country no that's 100% a great point and you know that's one thing that I I thought about you know this morning when the lawsuit came out especially in regards to what Trey Wallace had reported that he expected the NCAA to join in and have investigations in other schools is like surely you would think the NCAA is going to back off that now and they're not going to try to you know make more enemies with a lawsuit on the table now that might not end up mattering uh, but I think that'll be one thing interesting going back to Jack your question a while back like what the NCAA expected the Florida State thing they got resolved like they came to a mutual kind of a slap on the wrist I think there was maybe a, a minor punishment for an assistant coach and a you know a removal from for a booster for maybe two years him being able to do some stuff I think that was the hope that they would be able to that people the Tennessee or who at Florida uh, whoever else would say all right you know we'll accept some minor punishment and then NCAA would be able to get some authority back on all of this obviously it has not gone that way with Tennessee you know, going the complete opposite way of you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna yeah. work with you. We're gonna fight you. You know, tooth and nail with the, to the yeah. And, and and obviously, it, it seems like they had something right that they wanted to investigate or want to investigate. And, and I saw this from a tweet from somebody. I, I can't remember who it's from, and I sincerely apologize, especially if it's somebody who's a friend from the show or a friend uh, of the show. But they said, you know, at some point, you you swing wildly enough, you're gonna hit a target that you don't want to. You know, mm -hmm. and if the NCAA is trying to track down some of these programs to get some of those minor violations just to say that, hey, we are still governing things, then, then taking that shot at Tennessee certainly looks to be backfiring in the immediacy because Tennessee does have the power and the resources uh, and just the financial ability, everything that it takes to be able to fight this and to be able to put their foot in the ground and say, no, we're, we're, we're not just going to sit here and take it, especially after everything we just did for, with you over the last couple of years. Yeah, now they got lawsuit on their head. State of Tennessee, Commonwealth of Virginia, I mean, Governor Bill Lee, Blackburn, you name it. Everyone is backing Tennessee. And, you know, if you look at it from just, uh, like, you're not looking into all this too much. And you're saying, well, of course the Vol Club or Spire is going to say we didn't any, do anything wrong. Like, that, that's a common response, right? Yeah. But when you have this amount of people going to bat and this, you know, army that is building for Tennessee, that shows you that they are not afraid – to go in to get into the mud with this entire situation and let's unearth everything possible because we think we're going to win that's basically what it's all saying you've got like a starting five <laughs> of, of university and state politicians you've got yeah. like you got dondi plowman at the point guard yeah you might put a, a randy boyd at the two you're right you, tim you put Burchett had a tweet about it tim Burchett maybe at the three maybe maybe marshall blackburn at the four maybe bill lee at the five Bill Lee's like, playing center yeah you've got like a whole <laughs> starting lineup though again of of uh, of state politicians and university officials who are 
not going down quietly about this. Attorney general. That, yeah. yeah, that's what. That's oh yeah, what the I was attorney general say. being the head coach. That's what yeah. I was gonna say earlier, and I kind of backed off on. I think that's maybe the thing that stood out most to me is how unified and concise the response has been from all parties involved in Tennessee, and it's clear. It's clear that Tennessee was not caught off guard by this. You know, whatever happened on Monday in the meeting, Tennessee knew that was coming, and steps had, you know, back channels that steps had been made to to be ready for this. And Tennessee and the state of Tennessee was was going to respond this way. Uh, and for an athletic department, obviously this goes a lot bigger than the athletic department. But for an athletic department in the university for I don't know 10, 15 years, that felt like it just had horrible leadership and nothing was unified and. They're, they would just flounder uh, on issues like this. It's again, you know, they'll be judged by how this end up ends up resolving. But in the first, like you said, 24 to what it's been now, probably 27, 30 hours. I don't know, something in that range. You have to be. It's very impressive the way how concise and definitive the response has been, and how Tennessee, from a university standpoint, from an athletic department, and then from the state as a whole, they really have all their ducks in a row with this. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm trying to find it right now. I'm looking back through the letter, but I also think that, okay, here it is. So, you know, and also I don't think this was a situation where, you know, Tennessee was made aware of these and made aware of the investigation. And that was the, you know, that was the one thing that, that made them upset. There's one part in the, in the letter that Donnie Plowman sent to uh, Charlie Baker, the president of the NCAA. And here's what she says in it, quote, um, your recent testimony before Congress indicated you wanted to meet with as many member institutions and student athletes as possible to discuss issues associated with college sports. I'm sharing my perspective in writing since my December request for you to meet with me and our athletics director, Danny White, was denied. I think this is a thing where, you know, again, either, you know, I don't know if Tennessee either feels slighted or just feels frustrated or disrespected or what, but in that letter, she's clearly showing that, hey, We've tried to work this out before. We've even tried to meet face-to-face, -face, which is something that you, the president of the NCAA, has promoted in the past, but we were denied the ability to do that. So I think that, again, Ryan, what you're talking about, this united front and this public stance that Tennessee is taking on this, I think that there has been maybe a couple little bumps in the road that have all led to uh, the unified front that, that has been portrayed. Yeah, I, th I think that one... You know, certainly is probably optically too. I mean, sure. that, just, that sure. just makes the NCAA look bad. That you know they requested to meet and requested to talk about it, and you know I'm, there could be certainly some some slight and pride, you know, shattered or wanting to be able. Because again, like like we were just discussing, they I'm sure Tennessee wasn't surprised by this coming, so I'm, they probably did want to talk about it and get out ahead of it and try to you know explain their their position to directly to Charlie Baker and not you know underlings of the NCAA, but you know, that one, I think more than anything, when you put it in an email like that, that you know is going to get released, it just kind of makes the NCAA look bad. Yeah. Sure. So what else? Uh, what else do we think about this? I mean, we've pretty much hit the whole timeline perspective, um, starting with the, the Sports Illustrated report, going to Donnie Plowman's letter, going to the Attorney General and all the state politicians sort of uniting here on Wednesday morning. Uh, we've, we've sort of talked about maybe the why behind it. What else are we thinking about this whole thing? I think I've pretty much said everything on my mind about it. You know, we, we went through the timeline. It's just, it feels like Tennessee's really powerful and, you know, has the excellent backing in this entire situation. We'll see what unfolds. But I, I do think that this will end up being not that big of a deal for Tennessee. The one thing I, on the Tennessee side that I would emphasize or bring up that from the Spire Sports statement, you know, that was Tom Mars who 
Yeah, the attorney. Put, the attorney that put that out, and Tom Myers has kind of been an NCAA killer or whatever you want to say over the years. It feels like he's represented a ton of athletes and, and a ton of different institutions who were up against the NCAA. The one that comes to mind from the Tennessee perspective is I know he's represented Cade Mays when he was trying to get eligible. After transferring from Georgia, you know, has been highly successful. So, again, the NCAA's track record in these lawsuits is, is very, very bad. I mean, I even go back to the one a couple, I don't know, maybe a month ago now where it's like, I mean, what coach – what coach in the country doesn't like the one-time, only one-time free transfer rule? Like everybody, I think the vast majority of people agree that that rule is good for college sports. Yeah. That helps control things better. Yeah. And the NCAA couldn't even win a lawsuit about that. <laughs> it got struck down. So when you have something like this, we're just going to have, and obviously this isn't the end-all be-all, as Rick said earlier, not a lawyer, not a, not a defined smart person by any means, but... When you're in the court of public opinion, Tennessee or the NCAA is very much going to lose in this battle, and they can't even win battles where they kind of are in the right, it feels like. So that from the Tennessee side of it further kind of emphasizes what Jack just said. It, it just doesn't feel like this is going to be a massive concern for Tennessee. Yeah, I had a buddy from back home text me yesterday, and he sent me the report, and he, he you know, sent it, sort of jokingly said, you know, Tennessee is being Tennessee and all this, and they're making everything dramatic. But then I think once you – and again, that's, that's just one opinion from, from many miles away. But uh, what I eventually started to notice as the hours continued to climb and as we certainly got into Wednesday as well was this isn't, right, just a situation where, where Tennessee is being dramatic or, you know, Tennessee's in trouble for something and, and they're going to, you know, create an uproar about it. I, I think you look at a lot of different sectors, especially the college football world, oh, there's the news on campus. What, what's going on over here that the news would be on campus? Well, We're not missing me. anything, are we? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Anyways, um, I, I, you know, I, I do think that with all the the unified uh, support that people have given, and, and it's not just the the people that we've been talking about, like university officials and state politicians. It, it's people who are in the national media, right? Who are coming together and saying that, hey, this is a this is a big deal. This is a big moment. And you know, again, something that we talked about a minute ago. Interested to see how this maybe continues to expand. If it continues to, you know, if it starts to expand at any point, I don't know. Um, I, obviously, like we've been talking about, I don't exactly know a timeline about these things. Um, I guess we can look to other cases in the past for a little bit of precedent. Uh, but it's just going to be really interesting to see how this whole situation unfolds. Uh, and I think this continues to, to bring up the conversation of just you know, recruiting and transferring, like what you're talking about, Ryan, in the sport of college football especially, uh, all the chaos to it and all the lawlessness from it. Jack and I sat in front of uh, Kirk Ferentz and Josh Heupel before the Citrus Bowl, and they both talked about how you know things are chaos right now, and that's exactly what Donnie Plowman said. Uh, the NCAA is in a, a very troubling spot where it just you know, and again, I, I don't I don't exactly know all the details, but from a broad perspective, the NCAA is just having a lot of trouble uh, going back and trying to create rules for something that they couldn't in the first place, and. Uh, other rules got put in place, state laws got put in place, and now you just sort of have a, have a jumbled mess of who wants what people to do what certain things and what people are going to get punished for doing certain things. 100%. That was the last thing I was going to say about it, just big picture. And, you know, I don't really have any feel for this at all, but, you know, certainly there's been some talk out there about, you know, this being the thing or the final battle, the way to kind of topple the NCAA. And, you know, we've heard for a long time, but certainly, and you just referenced it during during bowl season. I mean, how many coaches talked about how untenable this current situation was? And yeah, my question to all of that is, how does this change? There's no unified leader. There's no unified body. All of these coaches and athletic directors 
and heck, probably to a lesser degree, conference commissioners, they got plenty of stuff on their plate anyway that they got to deal with. They don't have time to fight this battle. How do you start the process of toppling, or maybe even not toppling the NCAA, separating football from the rest of the NCAA and having a different league and having these contracts and adding some level of stability and just taking away the chaos, I guess. This feels like something that could maybe would push it in that direction. And, you know, I know smarter people than myself have discussed that in the last 24 hours. Um, so that'll be the thing that I'll be curious to see if that ends up happening, if that ends up being an effect. And I certainly think, Rick, to your point from a minute ago and earlier in the podcast, like who else gets involved, whether states, whatever schools, conferences, that will probably be telling as to whether this ends up just being a Tennessee thing or, you know, a Tennessee and Virginia thing that does some damage to the NCAA if they win, or if this really is this is the rallying. This is the rallying cry, and this is the way that we really get change and we get a new structure system of at least college football, if not college basketball and a few other big sports. It's too bad that, that college football coaches aren't, aren't available for media sessions right now because I'm sure a lot of them would get asked, and I'm, I, I would sure be interested to know what a lot of them say. But, you know, again, NCAA, just, uh, college football, college athletics, it, it needs some sort of figurehead, and uh, the figurehead cannot be the NCAA that, that, you know, the figurehead in the current form is failing the system. It, it needs some sort of governing principle that, that you know, that, that – has a spine in a sense, right? That yeah. that can um, that govern all of these things. Power, power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and also one that that isn't. You know, Ryan, you just talked about the court of public opinion. Like, what what sports fan out there, what fan base out there has a has a positive opinion of the NCAA? There, there needs to be somebody that is you know respected, that is you know that is uh, uh, again governing these teams, governing these programs. That, that you know, at least in the court of public opinion, has. Uh, a little bit of respect to their name has a little bit of oomph to what they say. You certainly, and I think it goes just to what Jack said. Like, has actually any teeth or any power? Yeah. Like, the NCAA is trying to hold on to amateurism at its, you know, tooth and nail. They're fighting for it, and they're trying to, they're trying to hold on to that instead of adapting and changing. When you know, again, I'm not the smartest person in the world. I've just read some stuff on it, but from what it, it seems like to me you got to get these people under contracts. That's the best way for college football to continue on and to not have the chaos and for the players to be able to get paid and earn uh, their worth. That kind of feels like the direction you have to head it in. And for it to stop the, the chaos of it just being a free agency with every single player, every single offseason, contracts could also do that. If you're a sports fan and a lawyer, like this has probably got to be one of your one of your dream situations to watch unfold, right, just to kind of see it's it's – Two of your big things, and, and obviously it's it's going hand-in-hand hand right now. I feel like this is a conversation where I could talk about it all day, even though I've said all I have to say right now, but it's just, just one of those that, uh, you know, you could you could keep finding something new to kind of dive into each time you talk about it. But for the most part, that's, uh, that's sort of what's been going on in the last 36 hours, especially right here in Knoxville where we've got our base camp set up. Yeah, I've got an up-close look at it. <laughs> yes, we do, and we will continue to. Uh, and we will certainly have all that coverage over at RockyTopInsider.com. Really anything that we've talked about today, especially some of the statements from the university uh, figureheads or state politicians, you can go and find all of those over at RockyTopInsider.com, uh, where we are keeping you up to date on everything. But obviously, that is the big news of the football world right now. A little bit more football information to catch up on, though, before we move into basketball. Jack, I'm going to defer to you. 
Talk to me a little bit about what's going on with some of the former Vols who are trying to make their way into the NFL draft this week. Yeah, so you got a couple to keep an eye on. First up is the East-West Shrine Bowl, which is not as you know prestigious as the Senior Bowl, but it is certainly important. Brock Purdy came from the East-West Shrine Bowl, well. uh, one of the most popular alums in recent memory. Anyway, McAllen Castles and Jabari Small will be playing in the East-West Shrine Bowl. Castles, I believe, on the East roster, Small on the West. That game is at 8 p.m. Eastern Thursday night, NFL Network or NFL Plus, so you can see those two in action. And then Saturday is the Senior Bowl. Only one Tennessee player will be participating, that is Joe Milton, as uh, Jalen Wright uh, rehabs an injury. So to me, the most exciting prospect is Jalen Wright entering draft season. I do <laughs> believe he will, and it may not even be close, be drafted the highest among all of these hopefuls. Uh, we'll see. I think Milton will get drafted. We'll see about the other two. They'll have to have strong uh, pre-draft processes for sure. But, yeah, Jalen Wright, hopefully he rehabs his injury pretty quickly. See him in action in March in the scouting combine in Indy. An airing of grievances for me. Lettuce. Things, not even really grievances, just two things that don't make sense to me. Aram. First one, why is the East-West Shrine Bowl the same week as Senior Bowl? That, that makes no sense from their standpoint. Why would they do that? Yeah. Every GM, every yeah. coach, everybody's at the Senior scouts, Bowl. The scouts, the media. All the media. Doesn't make any sense, but I don't have to care about that. I don't I'm going to be honest. I, I didn't know where you are going with that. Quickly convinced. <clears throat> I was quickly yeah. convinced on your side. Second one. <sighs> oh, this feels more real. How ridiculous is it that the Senior Bowl <laughs> is now taking juniors? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty stupid. It's the Senior Bowl, and we're taking juniors. I don't even have anything they, else. I don't even have anything else I need to say about it. Did That's they the only need statement. to? Like, was it a was it a roster size question? Surely or? not. There's more right. seniors they now. Seniors. More excitement There's... to the game. They they want more excitement to the game, and it's like the exciting juniors that are always going to be top five overall picks at quarterback if they're leaving after three years most of the time, like Caleb Williams and Drake May. Yeah. They're not even going to play yeah. in that game anyway. So, but yeah, I, I think it's really dumb that is for funny. juniors to That's be allowed hilarious. in the game. Yeah, and this is the first year of that. Yeah, and I I'd seen that, and it kind of one of those things I put in the back of my mind. And then when Jalen Wright got the invite, and I was like, "Wait, he's a junior." And then it, yeah, then I remembered it again, and I was like, "Okay, well, good for Jalen Wright. Happy for Jalen Wright." Yeah. This rule is ridiculous. <laughs> it, it is funny when you lay it out like that. If you want to go and watch, you can watch the Senior Bowl practices at ESPN Two. Joe Milton is going to be on the American team. Their practices will be uh, broadcasted at one o'clock p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday and Thursday. It means it's going on right now. Yeah. Everybody get out your phones, get on the Watch uh, ESPN app, and we can all watch Joe Milton at the Senior Bowl on separate devices. Whether you can believe this or not, Joe Milton... You're already watching. No, but what I saw a dedicated tweet. guy. Joe Milton had the furthest throw in the air today. No way. He had the highest speed. Oh, my God. Miles per hour, and he, he had the... I don't, I don't know if it's like RPM or like the tightest spiral, whatever that yeah. analytic was. I know you can't believe you know, this. Imagine how... like. How he's throwing the football that way. Imagine how far he could throw an orange. Like that would be oh, damn. crazy to see. They should have yeah. him go throw an orange out yeah. there. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. I got maybe like, a maybe like a Reese's butter uh, cup. You know. Reese's yeah. Cup. What, what's a shame? Oh. Out of the pack. And I notice this. Anyone that's anyone that's it listening to this is going to say, "Well, this wasn't the shame of Joe Milton not being very good this year." My the shame to me of Joe Milton not being very good this year is us not getting the pre-draft prospect. 
or the pre-draft process of just all these people falling in love with him. We don't get the the NFL Network live look into Tennessee, Tennessee Pro Day where Joe Milton has that Zach Wilson play action that he just throws 75 yards. And, uh, and NFL Network people are just audibly just at a loss for just words on national television. Just, oh my gosh, Joe Milton. It would have been so fun to watch. Oh, it really would have. We did get robbed of that. We did get robbed. That was our birthright. That was hey, our birthright. We deserved hey, hey, that. Hey, if he, if he has a couple of big plays in mobile, though, his pro day could end up being kind of interesting. You never Yes. Know. Yeah, to the standpoint of like him getting drafted and him moving up, that is certainly possible. But it's not going to be like, – there's never hey, going to be – You're right. There's it's never, never going to be first-round hype. Yes. Which uh, just like a – Joe Milton being like pretty solid this year. Would there would have been round. enough for him, not maybe not to go in the first round, but to I mean, at least get it was first like, round. It was like Heisman came out of preseason. All the hype was building. Most important player in college football. Did somebody <laughs> have that? Uh, Some ESPN article? Say, or, yeah, most exciting. Yeah. Most, most exciting. Most exciting player in college football. But 1 p.m. Eastern, Saturday, Senior Bowl on NFL Network. Close that out. Okay, just about seven and a half hours before Tennessee basketball takes on Kentucky in Rupp Arena, which is going to be our transition to a little bit of basketball talk. Hold on, I have one more note. I'm sorry. Hold the phone. I'm so sorry. Hold the phone. Hold the phone. I thought this might be interesting. Where was this in the pre-show meeting, Jack? I'm so sorry. (laughs) We have a a rundown. Trey Smith and Jawan Jennings going to the Super Bowl. Oh, good. Um, You might think this was a question I asked this morning to myself. You may have asked it to yourself. <laughs> Trey Smith has the opportunity to win a second ring. How many yeah. former Bulls have multiple Super Bowls? Holy cow. Um, this is trivia. How many? Oh, I, I don't even know how many. I would guess maybe four or five. I think Todd Kelly has the most because I think he played on those Cowboys teams in the 90s. Bill Bates has the most. Bill Bates has the most. Okay. Did he play yeah, on those? Cow- like, it wouldn't have, all three would Dallas. Yeah, that's that's why I thought of it is because Dylan Bates. Dylan Bates and Todd <laughs> Kelly Jr. were in the same recruiting class, <laughs> and I said I thought it was Todd Kelly okay. and Dylan Bates. Okay. That's how I well Dylan Bates, Bill Bates. Yeah, Todd, well that's Todd how Kelly I got was on not that. listed, so I didn't. Yeah, that's um, how I got on that. Bill Bates has three. He's the only one with three. Seven have two, so eight have multiple. Trace okay. would become the ninth. I wonder does Peyton, Peyton have the most appearances? He's got yes. four. He's the only one to have four appearances. Okay. Oh. Jamal Lewis maybe has one, but I don't think he has two. Um, The Packers never won with Reggie? Reggie won won once. He went to two. He He lost to uh, Elway in the Broncos the year after. That's right. Okay. Okay. All right, so here's the seven. Uh, I'll I'll save time. Craig Colquitt, former Steelers punter. We got Jack Reynolds, Mickey Marvin, Raleigh McKenzie, a couple guys pre-1990. Then Alvin Harper with the Cowboys won two. Marcus and Ash with Denver, the okay. LA teams, won back to back, and then Peyton Manning. Okay, I don't feel bad about not knowing this. Yeah, not a lot of recent. No. Um, no. Peyton Manning. Like, well, Tennessee hasn't been put on a whole lot of players in the NFL. Yeah, the guy that, and, and I'm obviously biased, but like the, the, the Tennessee guy that I wanted to get uh, a ring more than anybody was Jason Witten. No I, bias at all there. No uh, bias. Nothing to do with you being a Cowboys fan. No, he's on the Jumbotron. No, he's not on the Jumbotron anymore, yeah. right? They, they got him Hasn't off. been for many years, since probably before Jackson. That's a crime to my guy, Jason Witten. Uh, I wish he had gotten a couple, though. I, I felt like he had such a long, great career that he, he deserves to be on that list. Yeah, I yeah, he does. Suppose. I mean, Tony Gonzalez doesn't have a ring, so, you know. Tony Gonzalez wasn't a Vols. So. <laughs> 
Uh, that's a great. Yourself. That's, that's no, a great. Ricky, you're so you're so selfless, just wanting Jason Witten to get a ring for no <laughs> other reason than him being a ball and having. Believe a it or not, career. he's probably not top three. He, I he's a for the top University ten all time tight end, and there's probably three tight ends without a ring that were better. Than I know the, the the tight ends of late have uh, have pushed him back in the all time rankings quite a quite a good bit over recent history. Okay, let's jump over to a little bit of basketball, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Number five, Tennessee suffers their second loss of conference play uh, to South Carolina in Knoxville on Tuesday night. Number five, Tennessee loses that game by a score of 63-59. to I believe that is Tennessee's lowest offensive output on the season so far. Yep. It is also their first uh, home loss of the season. A couple of Tennessee's players got some shots up after the game. Why? Because Tennessee was extremely poor on the offensive end of the court yesterday. It was a bad shooting performance. I believe it was just about... 36% from the floor, something around 20% from three-point range. 4% from three-point range, 60% from the foul line. That, that, that might be one of the most troubling numbers, is 60% from the, from the foul line. Uh, Tennessee just, just they made it tough. Don't connect scores 31. Now, a lot of those points did kind of come, and that last push that Tennessee made at the very end of the game, he, he turned on the Jets. But when he's scoring more than half your points and Tennessee's failing yeah. to hit the 60-point mark, that means a lot of trouble in other directions. Certainly, Tennessee got uh, Tennessee got a little bit of production from Santiago Vescovi, who hit uh, ten points. But otherwise, nobody else scored more than six points on the night. Uh, Tennessee just had a really bad offensive night. Defense. I mean, Rick Barnes said it after the game. Felt like they met their goals. They they held their opponent down to just sixty four points, which is a great number. But Tennessee's offense just really struggled on on Tuesday. No, I mean it, it set the tone from the jump. I mean, first possession of the game. Pick and rolls to Kai Ziegler, Jonas Adu. Good little bounce pass from Ziegler. Essentially a wide open layup for Jonas Adu. He misses it. And that set the tone for tonight. And in SEC play, Tennessee's offense has been relying on three guys. Don't connect, Jonas Adu, Sakai Ziegler. All three entering last night's game were averaging over 14 points per game. No one else was averaging eight points per game in conference play. Well, Jonas Adu goes for six points. Sakai Ziegler goes for two points. Those two guys combined to shoot two of 14 from the field. Uh, that's going to need someone else is going to have to step up. And, you know, I thought Vescovi was a fit. I mean, he had 10 points on 4 or 7 shooting, but certainly not enough to, to help out Dalton Connect, especially considering, you know, nobody. Ganey doesn't score. Jemiah Meshack doesn't score. Two from Josiah Jordan James. Six from Tobey Owaka. So no one else stepped up in true big-time form. So when you kind of look at it that way, I think it's, you know, it's easy to see how Tennessee's offense struggled. You had a great line in the middle of the game yesterday where you looked over and you said, Tennessee's bigs just don't want to give these guards any assists yeah. because they, they were missing, it seemed like, everything at the rim. And, and you go back to Jonas Adu's play of the game, or first play of the game, uh, J.P. Estrella just oh. missed a dunk. Oh, yeah. It just hit the rim and bounced. I mean, there were so many missed opportunities at the basket that, that Rick Barnes was baffled by. 8 of 21 on layups and dunks. And a lot of it, I don't know, five or six, maybe not point-blank layups, but shots you got to make. And, you know, Rick Barnes is – you know, almost all college coaches, you know, when your offense struggles, there's oftentimes, uh, you know, a bit in the post-game press conference of you got to make shots. And, you know, Rick Barnes even said it last night. He's like, look, I can talk about making shots and, you know, how it, sometimes you have nights like this. He goes, you got to make layups every night. And, yeah. And Tennessee didn't do that. And when you combine, I think that's probably the big three of why Tennessee's offense struggled so much. It gives South Carolina's defense a lot of credit, too. They're a good defensive unit. It's Adu and Ziegler, who they've been leaning on, did not play well. 8-21 on layups and dunks, 12-20 at the foul line. You make three more layups, you make – you shoot 70% from free throw line, which Tennessee's only shot worse than that five times this year, you win the game. Yeah. Yeah. 
It was a rough watch last night. And, you know, I know it's probably the ugliest performance of the season, you would say. Definitely, yeah. yeah with, without a shadow of a doubt. But, it, yeah, it feels like it's Dalton or bust sometimes. And, you know, Dalton had 31. He, he was great. And, you know, the missed free throws late, you can point to that. But, I mean, he was not the reason, of course. But when Adu and Ziegler, as you said, aren't arriving, it's, it's going to be tough sledding. Yeah, definitely, and I think someone asked, you know, Rick Barnes, or I don't know, maybe it's a comment I saw post game about, you know, like it felt like guys were just deferring to yeah. Dalton, and you know, I would say that it's been a lot of Tennessee and conference play deferring to those three guys as a whole. Now Dalton's doing the most scoring, and he has the ability to take over games, so it's more deferring to him. But Adu and Ziegler have remained aggressive even in these games. The Georgia game is a great example where Dalton stills the show, but Sky Ziegler stayed really aggressive in the second half of attacking the basket. While those guys were struggling, it was all just looking at Dalton. And you're right. I mean, Dalton, it's just it's an absolutely absurd statement that I'm about to say in a game where he scored 31 points, but he wasn't at his best last night. And no. for most of the second half, he struggled. He couldn't get shots to go. And it felt like one credit. 24. Yeah, credit to South Carolina. I thought they played good defense on him. But it felt like there was a lot of standing around and like, all right, Dalton, go do that thing where you yeah, save us. a lot of uh, one-on-ones. That's what I was saying, Dalton or bust. Yes. That's what it felt like. Yeah, and uh, I think that, you know, in large part came from the fact that Ziegler and Adu struggled. And a lot of games has been deferred to those three guys and Dalton the most. But you have other guys that are staying aggressive. All of a sudden, those guys were struggling. I didn't think Santiago Vescovi was aggressive as he needed to be given. He was played pretty well on the offensive end. Uh, and just nobody was aggressive. And then, like, like you said, it just led to everybody making it a Dalton or bust offense. And Well, I was going to say, it seemed like last year, and, and it's just such a different team, so it's hard to compare. But, you know, a lot of the times it'll be like the Jemai game or the Olivier game would happen last year. It's like every game's the Dalton game, and there's nobody from the bench who's really stepping up and putting together a 14-point night. I would say that's changed only in SEC play. I'd say early in the season it was like that. I mean, you right, had... but we kind of only. I mean, when you get to this point yeah. in the season, you're judging these performances. Yes. You're not judging. No, you're you're right. But it wasn't like it was just the the nobody games either. Like NC State, Dalton does nothing, and Josiah and Zakai step up and. Yeah, I mean, uh, Josiah has been absolutely nowhere to be found in yeah. 2024. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Let me ask you guys this, um, and, and this, this example or this point isn't necessarily as, you know, I don't think it's as dire. I'm just sort of using it as, a, as, a, as, a, uh, as an audio avenue. But what is the panic meter from that loss? Is it as simple as... Tennessee just missed some shots, right? This is a team who's averaged 84 points a game in their last four SEC contests before this one. Is it as simple as Tennessee just missed shots that they've, that they've been hitting throughout the year, or was it maybe a little bit more than that to you? Well, I'd say it's a little bit more than that, and I'll even go to the defense. And look, it's, it's hard to criticize defense in a game you have 63 points. I didn't think Tennessee was sharp at all defensively last night. I thought their ball screen defense and their switches was not crisp in the first half. They made some out-of-character plays, trying to gamble to get steals. It led to wide-open threes. Like, South Carolina shot 10 of 29 from three, which isn't like that's amazing by any means. And Tennessee shot 5 of 21. And, you know, a lot of times – stats from the corner. When it comes to three-point shooting, a lot of times you just say it's variance and you have nights. And, yeah, shooting is a lot of time that. that South Carolina defended the three-point line a lot better than Tennessee did last night. South Carolina got a lot more open looks from three. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, it was more than just them missing shots. Now, to Santiago Vescovi's point post-game, and kind of what I said earlier, 
you make a handful of these layups that you should make, and you make more free throws than you make, and you're talking about okay, Tennessee didn't play very good, and they found you know they found a way to win. Um, to the long term way you pointed that picture, I don't think it's the end of the world. It's a college basketball season, and it's goodness knows it's a very sporadic sport, and teams struggle all the time. North Carolina loses to Georgia Tech last night, now on the road. But South Carolina's a lot better than Georgia Tech. Um, where I think it hurts, I guess I'd say two things. It, it feeds into the fears, because Tennessee's not a perfect team. It feeds into the fears of how things could go wrong in March. You know, mm-hmm. Nobody gets anything going, and Dalton's not great. You can't score enough. Um, the other fear has kind of been what we've seen. You play teams with great post players, uh, and they, Tennessee's a little soft on their post defense. Not necessarily their rim defense, but their post defense. And the thing about that one, kind of the saving grace is, you're probably not going to play anybody with a stud big man until the second week in a tournament. Well, that game like last night could happen. You can play South Carolina in the second weekend, second game in a tournament pretty easily. Um, so I think from that standpoint, you look at it as a, as a fear. I don't think it's something you hit the panic button over. Um, really where I think the loss you know, stings is, you know, Tennessee out here trying to win an SEC championship, and that's a game you can't lose at home when you're, when you're doing that. Yeah, so, and, it, and it hurts the one-seed case in the yeah. tournament time, too. It, it feels like the one-seed, you're, you're almost dead on that. Yeah. Obviously, they could you know, lose one or two games the rest of the year, and maybe you get back in that. But Yeah, and it's so easy to coast to the Sweet 16 with a one-seed. I mean, you know, it's so huge. And, yeah. Um, no, I agree with everything you said, Ryan. One thing I'll add is as bad as they played – Still with a minute left, they had a chance to win. I yeah. mean, if the dude doesn't make the three in the corner and yeah. Dalton makes his free throws, I think they win. I honestly do. That's, so they, they were that close and as bad as they played. And that's the thing that I think stands out. You know, Tennessee comes out of the under four timeout. I think they're down seven. Maybe it's down six. Dalton's at the free throw line. Both free throws go in and out. In a game where, I mean, Dalton couldn't throw anything. I think at that point in the game, there's less than four minutes left in the second half. Tennessee had made four field goals in the second half. <laughs> yeah. Three of those field goals came in the first three minutes, first 230 of the second half, from 1747 in the second <laughs> half to 256 in the second <laughs> half. Tennessee made one field goal. That is unbelievable. I mean, that's some Tennessee 20 last season offense stuff. And I guess the two points to make on that. Wow. At that point, it was just, I mean, Dalton was really struggling to hit shots. And, and he, he, the, the rim was five times the size the rest of the game for Dalton. He didn't miss another field goal until he shot a meaningless deep three as the buzzer, you know, sounded in a four-point loss or five-point loss, whatever it was, four-point loss, and it went in and out. It was just unbelievable to see some of the shots he made down the stretch. And one thing I thought that was interesting, like, as bad as that offense performance was last night, that's an offensive performance that Tennessee would have every three, four games last year. Yeah. Remember the Auburn game? Yes. That they won? <laughs> that they won. I actually was – I did think about that last night. And you had – and it shows how – I mean, and don't get me wrong, that offensive performance was terrible. But Rick Barnes, who, you know, was never out there ripping the offense last year, after the game last night, I thought this was a pretty crazy quote just from how bold it was from him. Not that it was inaccurate. It was accurate. We're not going to beat them being that pathetic on the offense, that on offense as a team. We were just really, we were just a really poor offensive team tonight. I mean, it was pathetic, but yeah. for Barnes to throw that out there, especially considering like that was kind of a not surprising offensive performance from Tennessee last year. One shows how much better uh, Tennessee's offense is this year, um, but leads to how much disappointment there was when you have a, a performance that badly at yeah. home, at home especially. I noticed that same thing when I went home and listened to the press conference just one more time, kind of before I wrapped up for the night. That was one of the big standout lines to me too. And by the way, if you want to go and look at either that press conference or 
everything that Rick Barnes said at the press conference, you can head over to RockyTopInsider.com. But yeah, Tennessee falls to South Carolina. They will try to regroup over the week. Uh, but then that's where you kind of get to the conversation of, yes, that was a bad loss for Tennessee and certainly one that, that, that they would love a redo on. Where you, you know, it's going to be a really tall task. But we've seen Tennessee have some really poor games in Rupp Arena over the last couple of years. You've got to be able to follow it with a, with a strong game. Uh, it's going to be a tough one. Obviously, Kentucky, a very talented team. Kentucky had a little bit of an off week last week as their offense certainly struggled as well. Uh, yeah. But it's going to be 830 at night. It's going to be a, a sold-out place. Uh, we know what, what sort of environment that Kentucky puts on when Tennessee comes into town. So it's going to be a big one as Tennessee looks to avoid two straight losses for, what, only the second time this season? Yeah, and they had, and that was a straight. that was a loss of four, a no, streak three, of three, three, yeah, was, uh, right, two two tournaments in, in North Carolina. So try, they're they're trying they're looking to avoid their first, their second multi game losing streak of the season. Yeah, I mean I think it puts a lot of pressure on the game Saturday where obviously you're going in and you're not Tennessee wouldn't have been isn't going to be and wouldn't have been a big underdog. But if you're six and one in SEC play games on the road to some degree you're kind of playing with house money. The pressure's on Kentucky and the pressure probably still is on Kentucky. But now for the SEC, winning the SEC championship race, having played really poorly earlier in the week, there will be some pressure on Tennessee to respond. And I go back to what you said, Tennessee's now had a number, really as the season as a whole, but especially in SEC play, they've had a number of bad first halves. The last two years, they were down by double digits six minutes into the game in Rupp Arena. You got to avoid that. You got to come out sharper and you got to play better in the first half. I think that's going to be, you know, yeah. one of the big keys in that game. Absolutely. We will be in Lexington, so we will have you live coverage from Rep Arena throughout the entire game. Uh, should be a good one. Obviously, we will wait to see how the, how that one unfolds, but we will be there. So make sure you are staying tuned in to Rocky Top Insider throughout the whole thing. One final thing. Sure. Because I did a lot of research on it, and I'm not going to write a story on it. Okay. But I was get. I had my final score tweet last night. Oh, gosh. Jack said You're going to address it? I am going to address it. There we go. But I'm not going to Jeff Goodman address it. (laughs) (laughs) Get it. I said, you know, arguably the worst loss of the Rick Barnes tenure. And I will say, thinking about it, I don't think it was the worst loss. Granted, I never never said it was. I was getting some hate for it, mostly, honestly, from South Carolina fans. And I get it from South Carolina fans. It probably feels very disrespectful to us, a pretty good South Carolina team. What I was thinking in my mind was kind of from a point spread perspective. That was okay. probably one of the worst losses. And so I was curious. So I went through all of the losses of the Rick Barnes tenure and found which ones were the, from a point spread situation, which ones were the worst. Wow. After, before last year, there I couldn't find the point spreads on like ESPN. So it was, I can't remember the website name now, but it was a website that it wasn't really point spread, but it was analytical based, which is what all these analytical based projections and it's what all these things are. And I, I, Matched it up with some of the games the last two years, and it was always within a point. So I think pretty much what the spread would have been. And I, I found it very curious. So the worst loss from a point spread perspective was last year, game two against Colorado and Nashville. Tennessee was 16-point favorites. Last night, they were 13.5-point favorites. Then Missouri last year in Knoxville, 12.5-point favorites. Kentucky last year in Knoxville. They ruined Chris Lofton Day, 10.5-point favorites. <laughs> That's right. Um, Alabama in the 2020-21 season, they were 10-point favorites. A&M... In the 1920 season, they were nine and a half point favorites. Last year at Vanderbilt, that game they lost, they were nine and a half point favorites. And then another big one from a meaningful standpoint, they were eight and a half point favorites against Oregon State in the NCAA tournament. That game they lost. So I think from kind of going through and looking at all and kind of having a complete view of all the losses, I would say that Oregon State one I think was the worst loss 
of Rick Barnes' tenure, given it was a tournament. Given the significance. Given it was, they were eight-point favorites, given they literally didn't show up in that game. They lost by 15 points. I would say, and maybe it's unfair because Kentucky did end up kind of turning around their season last year, but I would maybe say Kentucky last year in that game was number two. What about? You ruined Chris Lofton night. Yeah, and it being at home, but – the Vandy loss was so bad last year. See, I and think Julian the, Phillips dribbling it out. I think like, the Vandy oh loss was more so bad because of the, okay, how this, you lost the game. Yeah. Like, you didn't really play great, and Vanderbilt did a really good job of shortening the game. But then it was like you got a rebound with 30, yeah. 30 seconds left, and you were up by two points. You were going to win. And that's the thing. It's not even like the just the buzzer beater shot. It was it was the play that led into yes. the buzzer beater. And you're just and like, missed free throws. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely up there. To me, the thing that makes me feel – and this is hindsight, that that one wasn't as bad. And South Carolina could very well do the same thing. Vindicated. Uh, yeah, it was just the fact that Vanderbilt was better than Tennessee last February. Like, that sparked a great run for Vanderbilt, and Tennessee proved to be really ineffective that month. And if Tennessee and Vanderbilt had played in the SEC tournament, who would have picked Tennessee to win that game? I know I wouldn't have. Vanderbilt was playing a lot better than Tennessee. But that one probably is up there, too. Um the way they lost that A&M game was really bad. That team didn't really matter. The 1920 team, that was the, the bridge team from Grant and Admiral to, to this group. And the Colorado game, I think, is, again, similar to Oregon State game, really bad because you were massive favorites and you got blown but, out. But it's the second game. But it's the second game of the year. It's in Nashville. In a pretty empty crowd in Nashville. It, it was like, a very poor crowd. It just didn't feel like that game mattered at all. No, um, almost felt like an exhibition. So I don't feel like South Carolina was the worst loss. Uh Probably, definitely top ten. Probably top five even, I would say. Yeah. Bottom half, top five. I'd yeah. go, yeah, I mean, Vandy, it seems like Vandy, Kentucky, Oregon State are ahead of it. I don't yeah. think I put it, I don't think I put the Missouri loss ahead of South Carolina. No, I wouldn't either. And, and how, Missouri does Missouri beat last, year year last year feel like South Carolina yes. this year? They're very, they're. Like, going to be coach of the year as their coach. Yes. Uh, no one saw them coming. First year, second year, now they play. The actual teams couldn't be any yeah, more yeah. different. Yeah, yes. right, right. But, like, you're exactly right. And that's the, story. the same. Yeah. That's the same vibe where I had, like, I don't even yeah. – I knew Missouri Tennessee – Missouri died by one player, whereas South yeah. Carolina – As we are seeing this year. Yeah. Um, like, I knew – I figured before looking at it, Tennessee was probably, like, eight-point favorites in that Missouri game last year. For them to have been 12-and-a-half-point favorites, like, that really surprised me. And I think yeah. in the same way, you know, that felt like not a good loss – there were a lot of – losing on a half-court shot, the comeback. Like, there were a lot of factors that – Yeah, I mean, it's a half-court buzzer. In hindsight, I don't look at that as being, like, a terrible loss. And I think in the same way, this South Carolina one could look, you know, very similarly by the end of the season. Good research. Good I, research. You know, you know, all the people that were that were coming after you, they didn't do nearly as much research as you do. The haters and the losers. I would not mind it being third after Oregon State Bandy. That's where I stand. Because yeah. Kentucky's Kentucky. Yeah. And yeah. And Kentucky in the same way. All that stuff, but it's still freaking Kentucky. It's the same way. Like Kentucky was playing terrible at that point, but they did turn around their season and were playing played a lot better after that. Um, So so I'd be fine with the top three statement. The Kentucky one too. Tennessee did miss similar last night. They missed a lot of layups in that game. Yeah. Um, There honestly, I think there were a lot of similar vibes of the way the game played out to that Kentucky game last year. Sure. To that game last night. Sure. And, And I think at the end of the day, like there's no. It's not necessarily a right answer for it. It's just kind of what, you know, what do you believe, right? You did a great job right there of breaking down, you know, the game itself versus the spread. Right? And the so stakes. It's, and yeah, exactly, in the stakes. And so there's so many there's factors in. If you're it, yeah. an, if you're a college basketball fan who, who's a big numbers guy and you love gambling and you love the point spread, then yeah, then maybe you look at it and you say, hey, it's easily Colorado because that was the point spread, right? That was where yeah. the big one was. 
but maybe you're somebody who, who looks at more of the story of the season. You're like, well, look how this game impacted this week, which impacted this month, which, which started to expand. So I, I think that, you know, you make great points on, on both sides. And it's really just up to the, you know, up to the audience to decide what, you know, direction that they want to carry their opinion. I and, think there's right answers on both sides. And further to your point, another game we didn't talk about because it's not even close to on here, is Tennessee lost their season opener barn second year to UTC. UTC, yeah. And a lot of people responded to me saying that game. And, like, optically, yeah, that's definitely the worst because it's right. UTC. Yeah. Tennessee was two-and-a-half-point favorites in that game. Like, they were – if that game was at, on a neutral side, it would have been, like, a pick em. So, yeah. from a standpoint Tennessee of, like, that, yeah. that wasn't a very good Tennessee team. That was a really good mid-major UTC team. There's a lot that goes into it, and honestly, like, the South Carolina people hitting on me, I completely get. Like, I completely get how that comes off very disrespectful. The sure. Tennessee people, I'm actually proud of the Tennessee people hating on me. That they weren't over, <laughs> they weren't overreacting to the loss. Okay, there you go. Because there are a lot of Tennessee people that were. There you go, the and, and there's some people who will die on that hill if UTC was the worst loss. Yeah, because oh. they're UTC. So it's just, an, it's such an open conversation. Another reason Oregon State is probably the worst because the whole narrative that Barnes can't win in March. You know the, the. Uh, the dims like a the short-sighted take of Tennessee basketball. You know how the f- like fans are always hating yeah. on Tennessee basketball. It's a very common thing. Yeah, Tennessee. No one hates think, Tennessee basketball like Tennessee basketball right. fans. Right. I think yeah. the Oregon State game is the poster child of that narrative. Yeah. Of Barnes can't take teams far in March. And then Oregon State twenty like that's what they'll always turn to. So that makes it more significant in my eyes. Yeah, and uh, I mean that. And it kind of goes both ways, right? That Oregon State team did make a run to the Elite Eight. Yeah. But that Oregon State team also yeah. would not have been in the NCAA tournament. They hadn't won the Pac-12 tournament. They were very bad that year. They've been very, very bad since. The time <laughs> they beat Arizona last week, which is like their first, pro- literally probably their marquee first good win. win. <laughs> their, not even marquee. Probably their first good <laughs> win since, and it wouldn't have been that Tennessee game because they won two more games in the tournament. But since that NCAA tournament, yeah. it was probably last week against Arizona. That's fantastic. Good research, my friend. Good conversation that sparked. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, what do you guys say we wrap this up? I mean, we are about three minutes away from an hour-long show. Sounds good. I think that's pretty good. We hit everything we needed to talk about today. As always, if you want to go back and look at uh, more of anything that we talked about today, well, we got you covered over on RockyTopInsider.com each and every day. If you want to follow Jack Foster on Twitter, well, I would recommend it. You can do that at Jack Foster Media. If you want to follow Ryan Shumpert on Twitter, you can do that too. That's at rshump 0 S-C-H-U-M-P. And if you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. But hey, we are at Rocky Top Insider on all different social media platforms. Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, you, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. We are the same handle on every single one. So go out there and find us and stay locked into Rocky Top Insider each and every day for the best Tennessee news, notes, and coverage. For Ryan Shumpert, for Jack Foster, I'm Rick Butler. You've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. We'll see you in Lexington for the basketball game, and we'll see you sometime down the road for the next podcast. A lot is going on right now. We're going to try to condense it all together over at rockytopinsider.com.